Kia ora, koa and O'Brien tuku ingoa, e kaurungi o Waituhi o Tamaki, no mai haere mai. I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers' Festival, Waituhi o Tamaki, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2022 event. We hope you enjoy it. Auckland Writers' Festival, Waituhi o Tamaki, Honoured Writer, 2022, Tessa Duda. This is supported by the Stout Trust, proudly managed by Perpetual Guardian. Author Tessa Duda began her adult life as a representative swimmer, winning a silver medal at the 1958 Cardiff Empire Games in the 110 yards butterfly. This incredible achievement would inspire the Alex Quartet, for which she is probably best known. Loved by generations of teenagers and garnering Duda three New Zealand Children's Book of the Year awards and three Esther Glenn medals, it was adapted in a 1993 movie and has just been republished in one volume. The acclaimed author of more than 45 books for adults and children, Tessa Duda's nonfiction has covered such diverse subjects as James Cook's cartography, early Auckland settler Sarah Matthew, and the first Olympics. Her many accolades include the 2020 Prime Minister's Award for Literary Achievement, the 2021-22 New Zealand Society of Authors Presidency of Honour, the Catherine Mansfield Monton Fellowship, an Artist to Antarctica Fellowship, and the Storylines Margaret Mahi Medal, as well as OBE and CNZM Honours and an Honorary Doctorate from the University of Waikato. She has been a tireless champion of other writers through her work with Storylines Children's Literature Trust, Te Whare, Waituhi, Tamariki or Aotearoa, the International Board on Books for Young People, otherwise known as IBI, and the New Zealand Society of Authors. Tessa Duda joins Carol Bew on stage to celebrate her writing and the immense contribution she has made to the literary landscape. Kia ora tato, nga mihi nui. Thank you so much for being at this special festival session and at the festival over the last six days. After our wee pandemic pause and shift from May, it's been absolutely fantastic to see the halls full and so many people having such a wonderful time at so many great sessions. And I hope you've all had a ball here. We've loved being able to put the festival on this year. After the session ends, Anne O'Brien will join us to give some insights in how, to, in how the festival has gone. So now we come to the last event, the Honoured New Zealand Writer. The 10th year the festival has closed this way. Allow me a brief background history. It's the stuff of legend now, how 22 years ago, Peter Wells and Stephanie Johnson got some like-minded people around a kitchen table and dreamed up the first ever Auckland Writers' Festival. It was at first a tiny event, and then it became the little festival that could, and now it's an unmissable part of Auckland life, and we're thrilled that you are all part of it. Over the years, the various boards that govern this amazing event and all that surrounds it and its directors have never forgotten that history. And that's the reason for this Honoured New Zealand Writer event, because among the festival's many aims was to celebrate New Zealand writers, the writers of this place, these lands. It's been quite a roll call since 2012. Morris G, Carl Stead, Patricia Grace, Fiona Kidman, Albert Went, Joy Cowley, Witi Ihamaira, Vincent O'Sullivan, and Brian Turner. Tonight, to this storied group, we add Tessa Duda, OBE, CNZM, 
one of this country's best-loved writers for young readers, the author of an incredible 45 books for adults and children, and the recipient of seemingly countless awards and honours. The thing that makes Tessa's career so distinctive, and the reason we are all in her debt, is her activity beyond her own writing. She is one of this country's most astute, active and determined advocates for children's literature and for children's engagement with reading and books and all the benefits we know that brings. And this is the thing, of course, that every parent, grandparent and teacher worries about. How do we get our children to read? Tessa is a force of nature, a tour de force, and at times a force to be reckoned with. And New Zealand has been blessed by her remarkable gift and her vision. Here to tell us a bit more about that and to help share some of Tessa's life and work with us as one of that original merry band of Auckland Writers' Festival pioneers, as I've just discovered Tessa was also, the redoubtable Auckland bookseller, Carol Bew. Will you welcome Carol and Tessa, please? I'm Carol Bew, as you've just been told, and I'm from the Women's Bookshop. And I've been holding the fort up on Ponsonby Road a lot while my team run the, the, the bookstall down here. I'm in a wonderful position today to be here with Tessa. I wanted to start by mentioning the epilogue at the very end of Alex. There's, Alex has just been, it was out of print for a while, and it has just been republished, all four books in one magnificent volume. And there's a superb epilogue at the end. At the end of the book, Alex is still only 16. And Tessa gives her this wonderful career. And I found myself reading it in detail and thinking, she went to Oxford University, she got degrees, she got awards, she was on the New Zealand Film Commission, she <laughs> made documentary films, and I had to remind myself that this was fiction. <laughs> and so I thought, Tessa, I would start by doing the same to you. Right. So, Duda, Tessa, O-B-E-C-N-Z-M, Honorary Doctorate from the University of Waikato, Storylines Margaret Mahi Medal, Catherine Mansfield Fellowship to Monton, Artist to Antarctica Award, uh, 2020 Prime Minister's Award for Literary Achievement, author of more than 40 books of um, fiction and non-fiction for children and adults, mother of four daughters, and in 1958, Miss Tessa Staverley, aged 17, represented New Zealand in the 110 yards butterfly, butterfly, <laughs> at the Empire Games, notice Empire, Empire, the language is interesting, Empire Games in Cardiff, where she won a silver medal. <laughs> <laughs> so Tessa is indeed an extraordinary woman to be the honoured New Zealand writer this time. So let's start with you and swimming. Mm -hmm. You as a teenager, swimming. How did you get into swimming? Well, I went to swimming lessons, like most kids of about eight did in those days, and I started swimming in the tiny tots races at what we then called carnivals, which are now swim meets. And my coach sort of thought that um, I should 
going into these races, which I did. But By you had a coach, so you weren't just any kid learning to swim. Well, he was both a swimming teacher and a coach. That's ah, right. wonderful Jack Lyons. Mm. And uh, I found that I was up against two very talented swimmers, Jennifer Hunter and Philippa Gould, both well known through these years that I swam. And uh, I started coming second and third to these two young women. And when I was about 14, um, I, there was a visit by an, an American swimmer who showed us this new butterfly stroke with a, a dolphin kick, and nobody had ever seen this before. She came here in 1956, so, sorry, she came in 1955 uh, and then went on to win the first Olympic um, butterfly uh, right. medal of the following year. But she showed us the stroke, and since I had two, a backstroker and a freestyle swimmer in front of me, I thought, well, I'll do butterfly. <laughs> so I did butterfly, and I found that I had a talent for it. And I was very lucky that um, in those days, young swimmers or young sports people, of, uh, not only swimmers, got quite a lot more uh, attention with the press. And the Auckland Star reporter was a wonderful woman called Valerie von Zielinski. Right. Later, later, Valerie Blomfield. I think we have a picture. We have of a her. picture yes. of, of Valerie. I think you with Valerie. Oh, here she is. Well, this picture was taken there. about three years ago when she came to a, a, um, a session that I did out of Piha, and I was so thrilled to see her again. Well, Valerie wrote when I was about 14. She wrote a piece about me in the Star, said that I had some talent and I could go places. And then uh, she was the she was a wonderful role model in all sorts of ways because. She was the only woman I knew who, apart from teachers, who was actually um, a, a working woman. She, she was a, a reporter at the Star, and she had children and she had a home life. Mm. And she, she was a, mo a role model for me in, in quite a lot of ways. Because that's one of the things you explore in Alex, yes. that the, the 1950s family life is wonderful in there. Yes. Well, it was, it was very restricted for girls, yeah. but... Yeah. Uh, Valerie showed me that it could be done, which I think probably had when my own turn came, sort of 10 years later, I think I probably realised that, that it was possible. Yeah. So I was lucky that um, she encouraged me and I did get a place in the Commonwealth Games team. Um, it was actually the Empire and Commonwealth Games oh, in Empire those days. Yes, it was the last one that was called well, both. That changed now to Commonwealth, which is perhaps slightly better. Yes, yes. yes. And so mm. off we went to Cardiff. It was a nightmare trip. Mm. Um, it was 80 hours flying to get this to... This is 1958. 1958 in Cardiff, and the team uh, was, had a chartered plane, and it broke down in Auckland, in Sydney, in Darwin. Uh, again... Uh, really badly in Calcutta, and what happened there was that the, um, the plane started to, uh, one engine failed, and I didn't see the flames, but I was told later there were flames, and so we had to go back to Calcutta Airport, to Dum Dum, and as a result, we spent a day there, and uh, the entire team, just about everybody in the team had tummy troubles. So that... that uh, you didn't? I didn't, no. I was lucky. Um, of course, there were no antibiotics in those days. We were given huge sulfur tablets to take, um, bright yellow, and some people were hospitalised. So the team didn't do particularly well that year. We've got a picture of the, t of the <laughs> team, I think. Can we have the first of the old pictures? Yeah, oh, there we yes. Go. Well, there's, um, 
uh, I'm at the back there, and those are the swimmers. Um, are so you second, second from the right? I'm third from the right so at the back, yes. Oh, so you're hidden a bit. Yes, yes. so there's yes. Jennifer Hunter, uh, Philippa Gould, Kay Sawyers, and myself at the back, um, third from the back there, with our chaperone and some of the athletes. That was taken just as we left uh, from not uh, um, Mangari as we do now. This is taken from Fanuapai on a plane with four propellers on it. Right. And it was a super constellation, and it was a terrible trip. So we went, had that day in, in Calcutta, and then we arrived, and the last thing that happened to us was that we arrived about 11 o'clock at night, and we were put straight on a bus, and we were taken six hours across the English countryside to arrive in Cardiff, and we were that, at 5 o'clock in the morning, and we were out training at 11. Whoa. So yeah. there is a picture, I think, the next one. Um, yes of what we looked like when we arrived. <laughs> you can see that we're all looking a little bit wan. Uh, that's the four of us with some of the officials in the, um, in the games village. And we had about six days to, uh, to um, try and get back into our fit state. Mm. But the team didn't do particularly well. Um, Murray Halberg, of course, did well and Peter. some of the um, minor sports, but uh, was Peter Snell there as well? No, no that, he that didn't arrive until um, 1960. Right. Oh, that was his first year. Right. year. Yeah, this yeah. was 58. Yes. But it was an extraordinary experience for a 17-year-old, obviously. Yes. And um, I'm very grateful. And mm. when it came to my race, um, mm. <laughs> I think we've got a picture of the aftermath. And there's <laughs> this only photograph I've got, actually. Um, Beverly Bainbridge in the middle, who won the race. 110 yards butterfly. Um, Margaret Iwasaki from Canada, who was who was uh, third, and myself, and they were all astonished. They said, "Where's this girl come from? She's from New Zealand. Nobody's ever heard of her." And uh, w the <laughs> the thing that amuses me is that uh, I swam four seconds faster than I had ever swum in my life. Which so is, you yeah. could say either I'd been uh, not pushed because there were no girls doing butterfly. No. And you didn't have I, the competition. No, I didn't have any at all, or else I'd been extremely lazy. And I suspect <laughs> not. <laughs> anyway, it was a great thrill, and that's the only picture I've got. Of course, this is before the days of um, television or mm. even lots of press pictures. It's the only one I have. But well. it was a surprise to everybody, not least to me. Um, and, you know, I, I, it gave me a great thrill at the time, obviously. Right, and there's one more? Was there one? Yes. Oh, there's, yeah. this is the um, <laughs> su swim surprise is yeah. in the newspaper. Yes. yes. That, um, that newspaper cutting is hilarious because it says, here, have a grape. These are my rewards. And apparently that's what I said to the reporter, and the reporter decided to put this in. I don't, it, it's, it's really quite odd. But uh, it certainly was a, a great surprise to everybody. Yeah. But you'd done lots of training, hadn't oh, you? Yes. I mean, I've made a note here, ask Tessa about the training, because one of the things I'm very aware of in, in Alex is the, the training. I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, when I was 11, I was doing um, a mile straight in the morning, a mile straight in the evening, and other sort of... Um, and that's back and forth back, in quite a short pool. 32 laps of the Olympic pool, yes. 32. Mm. Yeah, so I was doing that when I was 11, and then we clocked up um, many miles... Uh, during that period between then and when I went to the Games. That was six years. Mm. But it wasn't, it was only a winter sport in the last year or so, really. Most of the time it was just a summer sport then. Right. 
and certainly the tepid bards. In Alex, I have, haven't pulled any punches about the water quality there, which was salt water chlorinated and heated, and it Just was mm. agony, actually. Mm. And we didn't We're have... very aware in we Alex didn't, of yes. what's happening to her eyes. Yes. Yeah, just the we didn't have um, uh, goggles in those days that were uh, reliable to stay on, mm. as they do now. Uh, so it was pretty tough, that, that training through the winter before we went to uh, the Games in July, yes, yeah. July 58, yeah. Yes, so it was hard work. Is yeah. that the end of those, have we got one more of those or we, I'm not sure. No, I think that's all. That's, that's all of those, so we can just go back to us again, that's fine. Um, I, it's interesting that I, I mean I read Alex years and years ago, decades ago when it first came out, and I remembered basic things like um, the tragedy and and her winning the medal, and I remembered the Vespa round Rome, but I didn't remember the detail. And I found it fascinating, and I want to tell the audience this, this is not just a novel for teenagers. I loved it at my age, it is so superbly written, and the, the, it's layered and layered, the family life, the, the, the detail about what went on in her life, and her dealing with both grief and the stress of, of you know, the competition and going to those games and the, the competitor was here. Maggie was her, was her competitor who really mm. pushed her and had a very difficult mother. Um, I've, I found it fascinating, the, the character depth and the layers and Alex's, just Alex as a, as a person, really, she's mm. so fully realised. I found it, you know, I read a lot of fiction and that was a, a joy to read at my age, so I do encourage you to buy it. Um, <laughs> she, was, she was very feminist, wasn't she, Alex? Really? Oh, absolutely. Mm. And uh, For her time, 1958. I, I mean, I, I wrote that book mostly in, um, it came out in 1987, the first one. Right. And I had spent probably five years thinking about her before I actually got down to read, to, to write it, because there was really only one grant that was available at the time, and that was the Choice Bursary, and I won that in 1985, I think, and immediately mm. sat down uh, to, to actually write it, but I had been thinking about it for a long time. Mm. Um, so how did you get from swimming to writing? <laughs> well, I was very lucky that there were three key people in my, uh, the beginning of my writing career. The first one was the late publisher Gordon L, right. who became a very dear friend. And Gordon and I belonged to the, uh, Gordon and Ruth belonged to the uh, Takapu Play Centre, and then a babysitting club. And during that period, um, I can remember the exact moment when he said to me, will you write me a little book about Kawao, Kawao Island? Because he was wanting to have some guides. Um, he was, uh, yeah. Later it became this. Yeah. Is this the no, one? No, it's no, not the one. No, it's a little guide book. night race to Kawao. It's a little guide book. But it must have um, unlocked something in me because I produced that book for him. It was only this big, tiny. Um, but I did a lot of research. I could just about have written a PhD on Kawa, I think, by the right. time I'd finished. Uh, and it must have unlocked something because not very long afterwards, I woke up one um, Christmas holiday up in Kawa, and I thought of the story, what happens when a family goes sailing and gets into trouble? Mm. And so I started thinking about it the very next day. It was like I caught a disease. Um, it, it just came out of nowhere. I have no idea what where that creative spark came from. But um, I worked on it for six months, and at that point I took it to Dorothy Butler, 
and I said to her, is it worth my, why, my going on? And to my this great... Is, this is Night Race to Carla yeah, we're talking about. Yeah, Night Race to Carla. Which I have also just read and loved. It is so full of <laughs> tension. It's, it's scary and wonderful, <laughs> and I'm going to give it to my 11-year-old grandson for Christmas. He will love it. It's fantastic. Well, it's just been reissued by Penguin Random yeah, House yeah. in a, in a uh, 40th anniversary yes, which uh, edition, which is wonderful. Edition. I was thrilled when they told me they yeah. wanted to do that. Um, so um, Dorothy Butler was my second great... I mean, mentor, because yes. she wrote me a report, which I still have. It said, uh, you, you must, you've spent $30,000 of an adventure story, you haven't even got your family on the boat. 30,000 words. 30,000 words, words, sorry, yes. Mm. 30,000 words, and you're still ashore. Um, right. Throw all that away, stop um, preaching, which I'd done a lot of, and uh, just tell the story. So she was my second... Uh, very lucky piece of advice that I had. And the third one was Wendy Harrick's. Wendy Harrick's, yes. Because um, Dorothy gave the manuscript to Wendy, and Wendy, who was then at Oxford University Press, um, decided that they wanted to publish it. And then Wendy and I edited 30,000 words out of it. It was 90,000 words long, it was totally overwritten, it was terrible. But she didn't do it for me, she did it with me. Right. And, we, and together we we produce what is now the, the... For those of you who don't know her, Wendy Harricks went on to establish New Women's Press, which published a lot of New Zealand women authors. She now lives down in Dunedin, yeah. um, and she's had a, a huge influence on women's publishing in New Zealand. Yes. yes. So a shout out to Wendy. I hope someone tells her we, we acknowledged her today. Yes. Yeah. Well, she was also the editor of, of the first Alex book. Of the first... Alex book. Alex. Yes. Oh, was she? Yes. Right. Because yes. Alex was originally published in four books, it's a quartet, and this is a, all four books in one in this yeah. volume. Yes. And again, she tightened it up quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So I'm immensely grateful to those three people who, in their own ways, sort of got me writing, and I've been writing ever since. Right. Well, we have mm -hmm. um, a lovely young woman here, just waiting side stage. Her name is um, Scarlett Greg Mackay. She's aged 15. She's very tall, like Alex <laughs> in the book is, and she is also a swimmer. And she's going to read the, the opening page, of, the opening page and a half maybe, of Alex for us. Please welcome Scarlett. I've always known that in another life I was or will be a dolphin. I'm silver and gray, the sleekest thing on fins, with a permanent smile on my face. I leap over and through the waves. I choose a passing yacht to dive under and hear the shouts of the children as I emerge, triumphant, close to the boat. Right at this moment, I'd give anything for that freedom. I'm a pink human, caught in a net of ambition and years of hard work. In a few minutes, I will dive into that artificially turquoise water waiting at my feet. A minute later, I'll be either ecstatic or a failure. I stare at my toes, which are white with fright. How will I ever get my legs going with feet of marble? I step from one foot to the other. My arms describe drunken windmills. I'll need all the oxygen I can get. I breathe in, long, slow lungfuls. My heart is already pumping away as if it has gone berserk. I hear, in lane three, Alexandra Archer, and something else, which is lost in cheers. 
automatically I step onto the starting block. In lane four, Maggie Benton. In the lane I wanted to be in, should have been in. Cheers and shouts for her too. More than for me or less, I've never been able to tell. What does it matter anyway? I stand, head down. Nothing will make me look at her. Since we hugged goodbye this morning, we have avoided each other. Carefully not being in the, same, in the dressing room at the same time, not meeting in doorways, sitting well apart in the competitor's enclosure. I hope she's feeling as ghastly as me. We all step down. I walk back to the chair where a woman in a blazer waits to take my tracksuit. My hands are shaking so much that I can't get my fingers latched onto the tab of the zip. She helps me. Yes, I did put my swimsuit on under all this. My most special pair. People haven't, in the past, from nerves. Then comes the gold chain, bearing my most precious possession in all the world. Andy's pearl, his tear. It goes deep into my tracksuit pocket, along with his parents' telegram. I'm cold, so cold, appalled at what I have to do. I stand tall, center stage, on the first rung of the starting block. Under the night sky, I feel almost naked. Just me, the body Alex, fit, ready, dangerous. A whistle blows somewhere. I climb up to the block as to a guillotine. Shouts and cheers echo around the packed stands. Maggie, Alex, come on Maggie, go Alex. Then, silence falls like a curtain. I make a last adjustment to the cap clinging to my ears. A last swing of the arms, shake of the feet, shrug of the shoulders. I hear the breakers of my nightmares crash on the nearby beach. I need a pee. Take your marks. I curl my, clothes, I curl my toes carefully around the edge of the block. It's a relief to bend my knees. I crouch down, hearing the wrench of cartilage in knee joints, and look along the 55 yards of smooth blue water in front of me. Up and back we'll go, flat out. I feel tired already. Heads or tails, this is for you, Andy. Beside me, someone starts to move. Bang. Alex, you're dead. Maggie's got a flyer on you, a glorious flyer. You're beaten before you even start. Thank you. Thank you, Scarlett. Um, so one of the things you achieve is her inner life, the inner life of Alex, mm. as well as the, the external thing and the, the hardship of the training and the, the competition and so on. How did you do that? Talk to us a bit about her as a, as a person and her inner life. Um, I have often been read people uh, commenting on Alex and saying, well, of course, it's semi-biographical. And I rather um, resent slightly resent that because it's an assumption which is actually not true. Um, most of the things that happened to Alex, the, the milestones and the obstacles, didn't happen to me as a swimmer. I didn't have a, a, a major uh, rival like Maggie. I didn't break my leg. I didn't have tantamount to a sort of nervous breakdown. Mm. Um, and those, the things which happened to Alex, I either made up or borrowed from other people. Mm. Um, I thought a little bit, as I was writing, I thought a little bit about Dawn Fraser, whom I did meet. She was yes. one of the great swimmers of the age. Yes, and I mean, I remember, and the audience members here who remember Dawn Fraser, and of yeah. course she, in that race that, that Alex wins the, the bronze, and she actually wins a bronze in, yes. um, and of course our own swimmers have, in Birmingham this year have done really well. They have they? indeed. But, um, <laughs> um, I remember in the novel you actually used Dawn Fraser's name. Dawn Fraser wins yep. the gold in that race. That yes, Alex well, and that was in the third book, the one where she goes to Rome, and I did rewrite history a book 
uh, a little there, yeah. which is okay as long as you tell the. Um, I did put a, a note saying that um, that the bronze medal was actually in reality won by a South African girl. Right. But uh, yes. And Dawn Fraser was okay that you used her name yeah. in the book and so yeah. on. Yeah. And the, the, the second, the silver medalist as well. But I don't know. I I sort of was thinking of Dawn Fraser. I was thinking a bit of myself as a sort of slightly. I wasn't a terribly stroppy teenager, I don't think. Uh, I was certainly a very active one. A lot of the things that Alex does, I was doing all my way through school. Yes, because she's into drama and oh, music yeah. and sport. And yeah. yeah, she was one of those all-round girls at school who, who achieved at everything. Well, I'm glad you haven't said overachiever because no. that, that's no. has, she has been as described as an overachiever. Oh, I would just see her as multi-talented. Yeah, well, when and they brainy as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When they made a, uh, a film of Alex, they had a great big poster, you know, a great A1 size poster. And Alex is an overachiever, and I wasn't to asked about that, and I, I was really not very pleased, actually. Oh, I didn't see her that way as yeah. all, at all. Oh. But the book is really about a girl learning to prioritise her life, prioritise to decide what she wants to do, mm -hmm. uh, she wants to go to the Olympic Games, and what she's prepared to give up. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's as, she's quite chaotic to begin with, but, and she learns the hard way. Yeah. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But I've been continually... She's quite angry at times, too. Oh, yes. Which yeah. I saw as a good thing, really. Yes, yeah. yes, because she's a sort of proto-feminist, really. Yeah. Um, but I have been quite astonished, really, that when they had a f competition a few years ago of the most memorable characters in New Zealand fiction, um, <laughs> the list was quite extraordinary, really. It was two characters from Foot Rot Flats, um, Jake and Beth Hecke from uh, Aaron Duff's Once Were Warriors, yes. and Alex. And Alex was only the, the only Pākehā girl, the only young girl, and one of only two women. Mm. And there she was, as apparently, according to this poll that had been taken, mm. um, as one of the most memorable characters in New Zealand literature, I and I'm still yeah. astonished, actually. I'm not. <laughs> having reread re it as an adult, I'm not yeah. at all. And you talk to people, and people know Alex. They know the Alex books. Yes, they do. And, and if anyone has not given it to their teenagers, you must, because it, you know, she's a yeah. she's remarkable young well, woman. The other thing that astonishes me is that hundreds, probably, I would think a large number of people anyway, have told me that when they've reached the death in the first book, they've cried. And they've said to me, you know, I'm sorry, you've kept me waiting, you've kept me uh, reading until three o'clock in the morning, and then I burst into tears. Mm -hmm. And I really don't know why. Um, I think it's got something to do with the placing in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't analyse why it has that effect on people, but it, apparently it does. It does. And I it did, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I'm very privileged and very grateful to know that I've engaged... And I to think that extent. one of the appeals that it has for, for um, teenagers is because it is so real, having to deal at the age of you know 15 or 16, deal yeah. with real grief. Yeah. And some of that grief coming out as anger and, and rage at the world that this yeah. can happen. You know? Well, I thought about it for three weeks before I actually sat down one day and wrote the whole lot mm. in one go, and it wasn't changed very much after mm. that. And I did experience uh, considerable grief when I was uh, much later in life. Mm. And I think when I went back to read it, after again, after one of my daughters mm. had died. We're going to come to Claire. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, I read the passage in the book and I thought, well, uh, it, 
I did probably you got it right. understood it yes. more than I believed I did. Yes. Um, yes. But it, yes, it wasn't. It, it was the right thing to do for the book yes. because she spent the next of the the next three books learning to deal with dealing it. Dealing with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and it explains really her confusion with Tom in in, mm -hmm. in Rome. Um, because she leaves him dangling, really. She because, does. Because <laughs> she's, she's confused herself. Yeah. And, and sort of doesn't trust the world, in a way. Even no. though she's gone on with the swimming, she's, she's had that marvellous achievement where she wins the medal at those games. But somehow, you know, in terms of emotional life, she doesn't quite trust the world anymore, yeah. does she? Yeah. And I, I remember writing that last, very last scene yeah. where he sort of... Um, kidnaps her in a way and takes her off and he's, he's, he's determined to sort this thing out for yes. once and for all. And she finally tells him what had happened. Mm, yeah. And She's very young still, she's only 16. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But again, I was quite amused that when I wrote the book, nobody had ever heard of Nessun Dorma from Turandot. Oh. And that's what he sings her because it's the most wonderful aria of. He's an opera singer. He's an Tom. opera singer, and, and he training sings in Milan. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. sings her this in the hotel bedroom, and I nobody had ever heard of it then. But of course, it became immensely popular yes. with uh, the three tenors. Yes. And now everybody knows Nessun Dorma. It's, it's yeah. probably the most famous tenor aria in the world. So I had a lot of fun writing about yeah. both. And the whole, the whole sightseeing around Rome on the Vespa is just yeah. a joy. I yeah. mean, it's such fun. I mean, anybody who's been to Rome will just love it because, all, you know, all the... But it was, it's also reflective. I mean, they, they look at the Colosseum and, you know, she's quite affected by it because she knew what it was built for and what yeah. went on there. Yeah. And the people who died there along with the animals and so on. And well, I did go to Rome. Fortunately, I got a grant from the Arts Council and went to Rome to research that. Um, That's very authentic. Yeah. Yes, and it, there are sort of shades of that wonderful film from uh, Audrey Hepburn, if you remember her, and um, Roman Holiday. Do you remember that oh. film? Way, way, way back. And that is a, a princess who uh, has a wonderful love affair in Rome. Yeah. So there were sh uh, slight shades of that yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you can also see why that appeals to young people too. It's, yeah. it's got that wonderful, warm-hearted romance, and in a way, quite innocent too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did love the family life. Just talk about families for a minute, because, because the, fam the mum in, in Night Race to Carwell is, is extraordinary as well. And the fa yeah. her, Alex's family, uh, uh, you know, that Alex's father gets up at five o'clock every morning and drives her to training and waits and drives her home again and then works two yeah. jobs. And, and the grand grand sews baby clothes yeah, to well earn a bit of extra money to help pay for everything. I yeah. think you would find that a, a, uh, behind every sports success, there is a family doing exactly that, mm. even now. Mm. Uh, and perhaps even more now. But yes. certainly, my parents were enormously uh, supportive of my mm. what I needed to do to, to train and mm. uh, you know to have all those races and a lot of travel. I mean, mm. I've been very fortunate that um, be, being a, a you know an up and coming swimmer, you get to travel around New Zealand. I, I had some wonderful trips yes. on a bus with lots of kids singing. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And you went to Cardiff, yeah. And the Cardiff, yeah. yes. And I probably, if I'd worked hard, I had a good chance of getting to the Rome Olympics. Um, but I decided at that point I wanted to do journalism and I had a, a cadetship lined up with the Auckland Star, largely possibly through Valerie Blomfield again. Mm. And um, so I 
had one more season and retired, retired. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big decision to make, yes, isn't it? Was. It is for Alex as well. Yeah. Yes. Can, can we just talk about sailing for a minute? Because, I mean, Night Race to Carwell is all about sailing. Yeah. And, and also the spirit of adventure, I've made a note here. You've been quite involved in sailing all your life, is that right? Not all my Not life, all no. Life, right? I but married into a sailing family. That's where it started, really. And fortunately, John was a particularly good teacher of of the, uh, the rudiments of sailing. I mm. owe him a great deal. And um, th through his uh, passion for, old sh for sa uh, tall ships, mm. uh, he got involved, and then I got involved with the Spirit Adventure Trust, mm. which at that stage was operating the Spirit of Adventure. And I started doing um, watch officer voyages, 10-day voyages, and... Um, I think I did three in the end, and then I got very involved writing the newsletter for them, which I did for decades, actually, probably two decades, I think. And uh, in 1993, I was asked to be on the trust board, mm. and so I had um, only recently retired from that. I think it was 23 years, I think, on, on that trust board. So I was mm. very much involved with that spirit of venture, um, enterprise, both of the the original ship and the ship which came afterwards, the Spirit of New Zealand, which is now, you know, very much a New Zealand institution. Yes. And um, going extremely well. Yeah, and young people have an amazing... And young people have, have that's for um, 15 to 18-year-olds. Mm. So I, I'm very proud to have spent those years um, Policy making, actually, you know, and right. they made some very good decisions, and mm. that's I think why that why that organisation, an outdoor mm. um, experience for, for young people, has become so well regarded. Yes, mm. so successful. Mm. So let's let's talk about your daughters for a moment. Yeah. You had four daughters, I and did. you lost one of them. We lost one. Yes. Mm. Tell us about Claire. In 1992, um, it was a and an unpleasant year in um, two respects. My mother uh, died after a very short illness, and two weeks after that, Claire died. And she was 24. And there is something of Alex in her, something of her in Alex, I should say. Uh, there was some similar sort of drive, and she was just in the process of completing two MAs at Auckland University. And she died of myocarditis in her sleep. And it was a devastating experience, of course, so for the whole So she literally family. just didn't wake up one morning? Yeah, yeah. It was devastating. And um, it took me probably the best part of six or seven years to get over that, uh, I would think, in the sense that when I say get over it, you never get you over it. You don't ever get over it, of course um, you don't. But to mm. learn to, uh, the expression, I think, now is to integrate it into your life. Yes. And Yes, I became very interested in the, um, the, the, the expectations that, you know, life is a, is a, time is a great healer and, you know, you will get over it and all those cliches, which are not true. And, and I became uh, rather resentful to when people told me that. Of course, people don't know quite what to say when you've had no. a, a, a tragedy like that. And you had three other daughters, so people could easily yeah. say, well, yes. you've got three and other daughters. And the effect on the family was immense yeah, and sure. has gone on. I mean, mm. I, it would be 
uh, that is an honest thing to say, I think. Mm. You said to me recently that it would have been um, an anniversary just recently of, I forget how many years. So well, we're coming up to 35 years. Coming up to 35 years. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, we're coming up to 30, 30 years. 30 years. Yes. 30 yes. years mm. since she died. Yes. Yeah. So it's something that you live with for the rest of your life. You do. Mm. Yes. Mm. And there is, I, I do know quite a number of people who've lost adult children. And again, it was a book, and again, I have to say that you were the person who gave me the book that mm. was the most help mm. uh, by an American writer called Anne Finkelbaum. Yeah. And it was specifically about people who had lost adult children. Yes, it's called After the Death of a Child. Mm. I did look it up in case anybody wanted to know. It's, um, it's available as an e-book. It could be ordered, I think, as a, yeah. as a hardback book. But well, it I would, would be recommend it. Quite expensive. I mean, we could possibly get it if people needed mm. it. Um, well, I remember the day you told me about that book, and I had been searching for something mm. which might speak to me. And nearly all the books about um, dealing with the death of a, of a young child were, were of very young children, babies and, and toddlers and eight year olds. They didn't concentrate on what it's like to lose an adult child. Mm. And that book really, I remember reading it in one go, yes. and I would recommend it to anybody mm. um, who's in the position of losing an adult child, which mm. is, I it's do different. Know, yeah, I, know I won't say it's worse, I would never say it's worse, but it's different. Yes. And it has its own particular features yeah. and challenges. And she deals with that because she lost her own uh, She lost adult her child. son yeah. in a Car, uh, only son in a train accident, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I wrote to her right. and thanked her for it and had a wonderful correspondence for, for about uh, four or five letters. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. And yeah. told her how much the book had meant to me. Yeah, that's mm. great. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Tessa. Um, I'd, I'd also like to mention, while we've still got some time, the, um, some of the other stuff you've done for other authors, for children. I've got notes here like um, society of authors, um, storylines and so on. So tell us about some of the stuff you've done in your professional life, first of all, with other authors. Um, well, I was always interested in the society of authors because that is our trade union, if you like. Mm. Uh, it works very hard on behalf of authors and I was asked to stand for the National Council in 1991, I think it was, um, which I did. And in 1996, I took on the presidency of the Society of Authors, which was just after um, the, uh, the dissolution of the old Arts QE2 Arts Council and the creation of Creative New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And it was a very turbulent time. and. Gordon McLaughlin was the president <coughs> when that happened, excuse me. <coughs> Damn it, sorry about that. Um, he was the president and then I took over in 1996. And I think that was part of the reaction to Claire's death. One of the points that Anne Finkelbaum, of the author of that book, makes is that uh, parents often go on to do something quite extraordinary. They oh. go on a trajectory which they right. may not otherwise have taken. So they write a book, or they take on jobs, they do, do a course. They quite often, their lives change in unexpected ways. And that, I think, was possibly part of why I felt I could take that on. So I did three years of that. Uh, it wasn't an easy period at all, oh. because of all that settling down with Creative New Zealand. Um, but it was worthwhile doing. 
I think I left it in reasonably good hope, uh, shape. Good. And another children's writer, William Taylor, took it on. Um, nice. So I think the children's writers have done quite well, actually. For New Zealand uh, authors generally, <laughs> yes. Great. Of um, you know, t being political when required. Mm. Um, I've also been very privileged to be part of a wonderful group called Storylines. Yes. Um, there was a group way, way back in the 1970s called the Children's Literature Association. Mm -hmm started by the late Betty Gildedale and Tom Fitzgibbon. And I joined that when I was writing Night Race to Kawa, just very, very secretly. I didn't tell them I was write, trying to write a book. Um, but through that, I sort of became interested later when, I think it was 1991, uh, the, a group called the Children's Book Foundation came into being um, to try and be more of a, a national body. And that was the forerunner of Storylines. And the Storylines Trust was formed in 2005. And I'm a trustee of that, have been since that, that day. Mm -hmm. And that has really been an extraordinary journey of creating family days in Auckland and then in other um, uh, centres around New Zealand. And about three years ago, the Storylines decided that they would put their efforts into running story tours for, for, for writers and illustrators mm. to visit regional areas because the, the reasoning was that the, the children in, in the uh, main centres do have quite a lot of choice, but out in the regions, they don't. Mm. So going to the smaller towns and uh, even some really tiny country schools with only 10 students, Wonderful. you get the most rapturous reception in those places. And so th there are eight of those those tours happening this year. Eight? Eight tours. That's all around New Zealand. All around the country, yeah. yes. And it's so the, the family days happen in the main centres just... Um, they did. They stopped yeah. about three years ago oh. and replaced by the story tours, oh, yes. so they've been replaced by but the story tours. But they ran for 20 years yes. and that was... I remember one time in the this very centre yes, we had 25,000 people through. Yes, I remember coming to one here in the Bay of Yeah. Well, they took a lot of work, and they're yeah. all done by volunteers, of course. Yes. As uh, the Listener Women's Book Festival was yes. back in the whole decade of the 90s, <laughs> women all around the country, yeah. yes, volunteering. Yeah, but yeah. these the storylines, women, they're mostly women, I have to say, but not yeah. only. Um, but they are wonderful, impassioned people who are, mm. they're just... Want, we all want to get children reading as, as much mm. as we possibly can. So you've gone into schools yourself as, as part mm. of the storylines thing. I think we've got a picture of you working <laughs> with children in, um, in schools. There oh we go. Yes. So do you want to <laughs> chat about, about those three photos? Well, I'm not quite sure where they would take... Oh, yes, the one on the left, I, I was, those hands were up. Um, you can see that what they're looking at is my silver medal because um, a friend of mine who was a primary teacher um, asked me, would I, because they were doing a games unit, would I um, go to the school and show them my medal? So that's actually the medal, which I took a photo of, and I couldn't hand it around because of COVID. But they were all quite... Um, so that's quite, quite recent. That's yeah. quite recent. Yeah. That was only taken about or two months ago. And they um, had lots of questions with their hands up they there. They did, yes. <laughs> Yes, it was, it was lovely to be able to explain it because I think they, some, quite a lot of them had been watching it on television. So I'm Watching the current yes, games the current ones. in Birmingham. Yeah. Yes, and I think it, I'm very, very um, 
keen on the idea that children have a sense of, of what has gone before. Um, I'm writing an historical novel at the moment, and I'm, I'm more and more interested in, in the background to things. You know, what, what is the story up to this point? So I think these kids got quite a, um, a buzz out of hearing. Well, they, I told them the story about the terrible 80-hour flight to Cardiff. Um, but I think it brought the, it, it added something more to their uh, appreciation of, of you know, of particularly the, the swimmers games. doing so well in, in Birmingham, yes. Yes, yes. Yeah. wonderful. So those school visits, yes, I've done lots over the years, as do all the children's, or most of the children's writers. They're very generous with their time. Right. Um, and, and who's funding it? Oh, Creative New Zealand. Creative New Zealand. And, mm. um, yeah, there are really there's the Storylines tours, which are funded by, mostly by Creative New Zealand, but Read New Zealand, which used to be called the New Zealand Book Council, mm. they, they also take writers into schools, mm. largely funded by Creative New Zealand. So mm. there, there's a lot of work being done out in the schools. So when you go to a school, mm. what would you do? You're talk obviously, in this case, talking about, about what happened yeah. in Cardiff, but do you read from your books? Oh, do yes. You, yeah? Well, you have to be pretty versatile with kids because yeah. you can sometimes find yourself in a school and be talking to all the, um, the littlies first and then all the way up the school changing gears until you get to the um, year sevens and eights. And that so you'd, you'd do different sessions with different age groups, right, for a whole day or something? Yeah, for a whole day. And right. you get, you get it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting, but it's also very, very t um, satisfactory. Yeah. I know I have been on, on writers and schools visits, and I do accept all I get because it's part of my income. Right. Uh, you know, you have to be pretty versatile to, to make an in, uh, a living in, in New Zealand. As a writer. Mostly, as a writer. And most of us do, uh, the children's and writers and illustrators, of course, do lots of um, school visits, and they talk, to, uh, I talk to Probus Clubs and U3As and people like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I know I've, there have been occasions where I've walked in the school and thought, oh, goodness me, I, where am I going to find the energy? Well, of course, the children give me the energy yes. because yeah. they always have, they're usually, Nearly always, they're very well prepared by the teachers. Good. And they always come up with some wonderful questions, right. absolutely wonderful questions. So by the time that I've been there for 10 minutes, I've found the energy. Yes. Because we've important. shared it with the children, yeah. yes. Yes, yes. So the, f the top photo, who are you with there? What's, what's that one? That was our storylines tour um, around Hawke's Bay, which I did last, the beginning of, I think, 2020 with Fiti Heriaka, and oh, yes, yes, it was wonderful. Yes, yeah. Fiti Heriaka, of course, won her novel, won the, the Ockham Fiction Award this year. Yes, 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 well, that was a great experience. We had a wonderful tour, and that was a little wee tiny school way out in the, in the uh, hinterland of Hawke's Bay, mm. and the bottom one, I don't know where, I don't know where that, but it was, again, a storylines tour. Yes. Yeah, wonderful. Yes, I must have done hundreds of them over the years. Yes. So let's yeah. let's just finish with talking about the other things you've written. Now, um, f over 40, I mean, Nicola said 45 when she was introducing you. I think it's probably nearer 50 now. Nearer 50. <laughs> a lot of them are out of print. Um, can I just tell the audience the ones we've actually got on the bookstore? We've got, of course, Alex and the Night Race to Carwell. We've also got the story of Sir Peter Blake. Yeah. which fits in beautifully with all you've said about sailing and, and the spirit of adventure and so on. You wrote, uh, wrote about Sir Peter Blake. 
Yes, I was asked to do that by the Sir Peter Blake Trust um, mm. because they wanted a book which would go into school libraries and would would maintain the the uh, the reputation and the right. you know the figure of Sir Peter in our in our um, consciousness. Really. Yes, and there's also Out on the Water, which is children's sporting stories. We yeah. have a cop we have copies of that out yeah. there, and also Sarah Matthew, um, journalist, explorer, and Auckland's first lady. Yes, well, I because I'm really interested in history. I had read a lot about the early days of Auckland and. She really is a figure who deserves to be far better known than she is. Mm. And there was a lot of original research went into that book. And I'm, I'm very proud of it because I think the time will come when she is truly recognised as yeah. the, the mother of Auckland. Right. Was here in the very earliest days of the, the settlement of Auckland in 1840. Right. And it, hers is the only um, true first-person account of the founding day of Auckland, the regatta which was held on the 18th of September, 1840. 1840. So, right. yes, I, I, I right. really enjoyed writing that book. Yes. Um, it, I had a great stroke, stroke of luck uh, finding some relatives in England who um, sent me pictures and material. And also I found a, a New Zealand genealogist who had done a lot of work on Sarah Matthew and she had died, but I managed to contact her husband, and he said, well, you can have the box of all her material. So that was a most tremendous stroke of luck. Mm, yeah. um, so I'm using some of that research in the book that I've just finished and am now which editing, is, can, which can will come out next year. Can you tell us a little bit about it or not? <laughs> well, you're, you're in the editing process now. Yes, I am, and it's being published by Penguin Random House next year. And I'm not going to say very much about it because authors get a bit coy right. about Fair enough. Yes. Uh, about books which are still in the pipeline. But um, Sarah Matthew appears in the book. Right. And it really is, um, I will say that it's set in the earliest days of Auckland. Right. Uh, fiction or non-fiction? Fiction. It's oh, fiction. Very it's much a novel. fiction. It's a novel. But it's okay. also set in Sussex in England and in Australia. Mm. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, it might get picked up overseas, yes, certainly. Right, good, good. Mm. Now, there's three other titles of yours that are not actually on the bookstore, but I, I looked them up to see what else we could get. And in fact, they're, they're POD in, in bookseller terms, which means they're print on demand, so that if, they, if the publisher receives an order from a bookseller for yeah. them, they will actually print a copy. It takes a few weeks to arrive, but we can get Jelly Bean, yeah. Is She Still Alive, which is short <laughs> stories, scintillating stories for women of a certain age, but also the Margaret Markey, A Writer's Life. Yeah. So just talk about that for a moment, because I think you had a good friendship with Margaret Markey. Margaret was a, a, a particular friend to many writers. She was one of the most generous people I've ever met, both with her time and her energy and her knowledge. And I went to HarperCollins back in... Um, about 2000 and said, Margaret is also the most wonderful essayist. There are, there are essays and speeches of hers which should be out in the public domain. And they said, well, we don't think there's a market for that, but maybe she would, um, she would contemplate having a biography written about her. So I talked to her agent and to her, and the, what came back was that she, she, was, she didn't want a biography written in the, in the traditional sense of the word, but she would, um, she would be happy with a, a, a story of her writing life. So that was the book that came out in 2005, and 
there are large portions of her speeches in there because I, she is such a wonderful writer that I barely you know, I just didn't know where to stop, actually. Um, you couldn't just take one paragraph out and let it stand. Mm. So there's a lot of her writing in that book. But um, it, it is only the only book that's been written about her life. And as I say, she was an extraordinarily supportive and generous um, figure with all the writers mm. who were privileged to know her. As you have been, Tessa. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> yes. yeah, but Margaret was somebody here. very special. Yes. I mean, I... And we, we know her for her children's books. We oh, don't yeah. and know her particularly for essays or speeches or... Hmm. Well, so one of the things I wanted to do in that book was to bring more attention onto her speeches and mm. her young adult books because right. she is still the finest writer of young adult writers in mm. this country. The one that comes to, to my mind is memory. Yes, yes, well, there's memory, there's um, the other side of silence, um, the catalogue of the universe, mm. and the one which was made into a film recently. Um, I'm sorry, it's, mm. I can't think of it at the moment. Um, but yes, yes there were mm. about five or six absolutely superb young adult novels, which mm. are not as no well known as they should be. Mm. So that was one of the reasons for writing that book. Yes, mm. well, it's a great tribute to her, and yeah. it is available, so yeah. it can still be printed on demand. So that's, Excellent, glad that's to hear worth it. knowing. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's been an extraordinary life, hasn't it? Well, it doesn't seem extraordinary to me, but I, I, I um, one of the things that perhaps hasn't been mentioned is that we, uh, as a family, we spent some time in Pakistan. Ah, oh, no, I didn't um, know that. Yes, five years, nearly. Uh, what were you doing in Pakistan? Uh, John is a civil engineer, mm. and we went there to work for the World Bank, and that was 1966, two years after we were married, mm. and had nearly the next five years there, and I had two of my children in Pakistan. Right. Yeah. So that's an extraordinary experience. Yes, well, it was a very interesting experience. I look back on it now and wish I'd known more about Pakistani and Indian politics than I did at the time. Um, because this was, this was only 20 years after partition. Yes. And um, Pakistan was still finding its feet as a country at that point. But I don't ever remember feeling unsafe there, ever. Mm. And we, we had an interesting life in an American, first of all, in an, Amer in an American um, encampment, encampment, and secondly, uh, in a, um, an Ameri American one. Sorry, American and, and Italian. So it was Italian. a very, mm. it was a very um, international group of people. Mm. Made some very good friends. Mm. So that was interesting. And um, when we mm. came back, we had three children. Went away with one, came back with three, and then the fourth one was born down in Turangi. Right. <laughs> uh, again, on an engineering project. And so. Um, yeah. uh, for the next, it wasn't, I didn't start writing until I was about 38, I think it was. Sorry. So I, I had all those years of, of yeah. motherhood and homemaking, yes. Yeah. yeah, homemaker, as you're supposed to be in those days, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And you've gone on to, to lead this, this rich life since then. Well, yes. I've been, been very blessed, yes. yes. And blessed with four daughters, I think that's wonderful. I am indeed. Yeah, that's <laughs> lovely. Well, our time is up. We're going to ask um, Anne O'Brien, I think, to come on because I think she has something for you, Tessa. Oh. Kia ora. 
I have two jobs. One is to close out this festival, but the first one is actually a slightly more important job. And that job is uh, to honour Tessa in the final moments of the session. We have a tradition for our honoured writers, a beautiful relationship with the Greenstone artist Chris Charteris, who each year I email, I was just saying, I've never actually met Chris. Chris and Lizzie and I have these wonderful emails and I feel like we're friends. One day we will actually connect. But I say to Chris, this is our honoured writer and he goes away and he creates a ponamu pen knife especially, each one has been different, with a card of what he was thinking and what he's imbued into the piece to gift to our honoured writer. So it's my pleasure uh, to present to Tessa Duda this beautiful uh, pronoun. Oh. Thank you. Oh, that's gorgeous. Thank you so much. Tanakwe, you've been listening to a podcast from the 2022 Auckland Writers' Festival Waituhi Otamaki. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud and on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.